When you hear the phrase first-gen American, what comes to mind? Oscar Velasquez, a first-generation American, wants to enlighten your mind to everyday life as a first-gen in today's America. There is a perception in today's society, and Oscar is going to dive in and dissect the reality of being a first-gen. Join Oscar and his guests from all walks of life, discussing their trial and tribulations in today's America. Now your host, Oscar Velasquez. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of First Gen American. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. Our guest today, Lieutenant Carlos Camacho. He is a Texas native that grew up in the Texas-Mexican border. His family is from Mexico. He remembers spending many weekends uh, in, with his extended family across the border in Mexico. Lieutenant Camacho is a U.S. Coast Guard veteran and now a lieutenant here in our National Police Department. Prior to uh, National Police Department, he was also a police officer in the Houston, Texas Police Department. He is a chair uh, of NASHRA ERD. Can you give us a little background on that? Sure. Thank you for having me, Oscar. Welcome, this welcome. Is great. Yeah, this is awesome. And, <laughs> Thank you, know, you so much. You've been doing great work here in the Thank community. You, I and, uh, it. you know, it really, it's really, uh, I'm really humbled to be here. Thank you so much. But uh, yes, ERD is uh, Ethnic and Racial Disparities uh, Committee. Nice, nice. And the DMC, uh, also within uh, the juvenile justice system. And we'll touch base on that because uh, uh, Lieutenant Camacho and I actually known each other for a couple of, a couple of years now, almost, almost two decades. Right. And, um, Great guy, great guy. Welcome to the show, Carlos. I'm so grateful that you can join us today. And um, you know, first gen American. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh growing up in in uh Texas and the Texan Mexican border. Yeah, so um so again, thank you for having me. Um like like my bio said, I am originally from Texas. My mm -hmm. parents, my dad's from Mexico, my mom was born in Texas, but um my grandparents were all from Mexico, uh right on the border. Uh, I mean, I think you saw it in the news recently where all the immigration uh, uh, detention camps are. That's like kind of the area, wow, yeah. uh, South Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, growing up there, it was, you know, we used to go to Mexico all the time because I have a lot of family right across uh, on the border towns there in Mexico. And, and we used to spend our weekends up there, um, take the bus, you know, from the U.S. side, go over to Mexico, visit family. So it was a very, uh, very um, enjoyable youth experience that I had down there with family. And I mean, obviously everything's, we're all very close and family down there. And uh, so it was, it was good times. You know, the other day I was just thinking about, you know, how privileged we were to be able to kind of connect with the, um, with our families back home. And then, you know, still being able to come here and enjoy the sacrifices that have, our parents have made and, and to kind of have those both worlds and, and to have the humbling experience of how, they came, but not only that, but the culture that they left behind and, and you kind of understand and appreciate them a little mm -hmm. bit more, right. but also the culture, the food, the family. And, um, we, we can only hope that we can instill that in, in our children moving right, forward. Right. You also had some involvement with, um, the police athletic league and also the boys and girls club. How long have you been involved with them? Oh my gosh. I mean, police athletic league. I mean, it's been a natural staple here for, I think since the nineties, uh, and so it's been here since I've been here and I've been involved with them for, mm -hmm. from the get go. Um, if you don't know, they're going through a big renovation right now with, through building on hope through donations yep. and, uh, getting a brand new facility, uh, which is great because it's right downtown, uh, in the, in the tree street areas of Nashua. And, um, you know, it, it's just a great opportunity to have kids and police officers in a positive interactions mm -hmm. on a daily basis. I mean, we do everything from, from, uh, field trips, homework help. Um, you know, they have track and field, football, cheerleading. Uh, so we're always involved with them, with the POW, because we assign a police officer right. to work strictly for them full time. And actually, that police officer right now is Officer Ben Stussy, and he works under me. So yeah. my bureau that I work at uh, kind of oversees the POW, even yeah. though POW is their own entity and they have their own board. But the officer <laughs> works for the services department. And then the Boys and Girls Club, I mean, we've been working with them for years as well. We're always they're They're a great community partner. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I kind of strive myself or I kind of want to work with, you know, I, I pride myself in, in going out and working with kids and uh, being that positive uh, role model as much as I can be mm -hmm. and getting my officers out there to kind of interact with these kids because a lot of these kids that go to these uh, um, programs, Boys and Girls Club and PAL, you know, 
more, more than more than likely are, are you know from the inner city. They they get bused there after school, and you know there's different opportunities for them there. But another great opportunity is getting to hang out with police officers in a positive way. That's excellent. I remember um, the police athletic league pal, as is well known. Um, it's a big staple. I, I actually grew up in the tree streets. And I remember when I wasn't able to afford the membership, my, my parents, when they weren't able to afford the membership mm -hmm. at uh, the Boys and Girls Club, um, POW was always a safe haven. I would always come in, just sign the slip and it, whatever we can donate, we can donate, but always welcome me in the pool tables. If we wanted to, a, a lot of friends uh, that I grew up with got involved with the boxing. Correct. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Roger. And, yep. um, now that that boxing program, I mean, that's tremendous yeah, and, uh, because it lets kids uh, get actually, you know, the, the coaches are, I mean, they, they were professionals or amateurs at one point. So they great training. Right. And I mean, we've sent some kids to, you know, Golden Gloves and, and some Olympic qualifying mm -hmm. matches. As a matter of fact, I think two boxers right now are going through Olympic trials. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a great, great um, thing to have in our city, especially for the downtown area. And it, yeah. it's open to anybody in Nashua. What I remember most is growing up when we had, you know, before the social media era and we really didn't have nothing to do but to go outside and, and kids within the inner city that, that just, I don't know if they were coming from troubling homes or mm -hmm. they were just kind kind of having just this this frustration and this anger to go out to have this amazing outlet to have these adults just say you know what you have a lot of energy let's burn that out yeah, let's let's, yeah. let's let's put it into some constructive um let's use that constructive energy to to do something positive in an amazing outlet nonetheless and and i thank you for everything that you do especially for the kids nowadays that it's truly means a lot great and uh, also the boys and girls club i mean I remember Mike being uh, at what with the kid, the older kids' room. Yep. And everybody trying to transition to the older kids' yep. room and the teen center there. The teen center, yeah. Yep. And um and, now, and the the pool, the swimming, and yeah, the, I mean that that facility, program. that facility in Nashua here. I mean it it's one of the the best boys and girls club facilities in the country, and the programming that they do there is uh, really amazing. And one one cool thing that they do is they have this camp. It's called uh, Mariposa Camp, yeah. Mar Camp Mariposa. And what they do is, is they bring kids every other month um, to a camping um, yeah. facility. And it's usually out in um, out western New Hampshire. And it's a super nice facility. Mm -hmm. Obviously, right now, due to COVID, it, they kind of backed off of it. But they're still doing the camps at the Boys and Girls Club. And yeah. it's kids that have been affected by the opioid crisis. Oh, wow. So any kid, you know, that that touched the opioid crisis, whether family members, they knew somebody, anything that they experience due to co um, the opioid crisis, mm -hmm. they can go to this camp and they have a lot of counselors. It, it's a lot. Of, it's basically a counseling camp for these kids, but wow. they have a lot of fun activities for them. And one of those activities is uh, hanging out with police officers. And uh, we teach this class, the Mirror Project, and we've been teaching that class for probably the last six years at Elm Street Middle School to all eighth graders yeah. and, and at the Boys and Girls Club. And it's basically a one-hour class to talk about positive interactions, communication skills, and basically, it lets kids know, hey, get to know your police officers, because the more you know them, if for some reason you have contact with them out on the street for mm -hmm. a call or something else, if you know that person, you yeah. know that officer, a positive outcome is probably going to be, you know, coming your way because the officer knows you as, as a person. And, and yeah. we try to tell our officers, you know, all these kids, you know, they, they're not they're, they're not doing the things that they do, you know, breaking the, you know, we're not getting called out there because they're criminals. They're doing things because they're kids. Right. And, you know, we tell our officers, you know, if you can give the kids the benefit of the doubt, do it because it's going to build relationships and it's going to keep this kid out of the justice system. And, mm -hmm. you know, the Boys and Girls Club has been a strong um, advocate with us on the, in this front. And, um, you know, the work that continues to go on there, we, we uh, coach street hockey with them, nice. police officers and kids and all from all the middle schools. Uh, it's usually done in, in the spring and it, it's a fun, fun, uh, fun Six weeks that we, or I don't know how many weeks, but it's yeah. fun to go out there with the kids. And you have police officers, and it, and it's nice for these kids to see the police officers in a different role, and and get to see us as people, and get to you know come and talk to us. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, that's that's one of my biggest um, things that I want to contribute to uh, to the city here. And you know what, you've been doing an amazing job. I I know you personally for many many years. You've been doing an amazing job, just truly connecting who you are. Without the uniform is who you are with the uniform. Right. And that's how, that's why a lot of us, especially the Hispanics here, appreciate you and kind of are proud that we have one of our own in the police department because 
you understand that approach. You understand that lack of communication. Mm -hmm. You understand that, you know, you're not trying to be that dominant figure. You're just trying to be a family member. Like, right. like we had a conversation prior to this and, and uh, we, we talked about how well you're connected within the community, but not just the community, but the Hispanic community right. as well. Like it, it could be Friday afternoon and you, you're off duty. And I can see you when I used to manage agave, I can see you yeah, at agave yeah. and you were just having your, your tacos and, 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 <laughs> and just watching the game, you know, and this is when the world cup was yeah, happening. I remember that. And it was just really humbling and, and awesome to, to know. And then, you know, working with you when I was a juvenile myself, you know, it's interesting that you say that, the, you know, teaching other police officers, your colleagues, the approach, because it's so important. Right. I can't uh, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, you have a, a, a police officer that that doesn't look like you approaching your parents, mm -hmm. trying to understand there's a language barrier. There's no translator around. You're relying on the kid. We touched on we touched on this on the last show with Eva. You're relying on the yeah. kid to be the translator right. and they can manipulate or they, they, they have an authority figure over the parent because they are the ones that yeah. are the translators. Yeah, that's, that's not fair for the kids, you right. know? And, and, and not, not only for the kids, for the parents because they're worried. They don't know what's going on. And I, um, I myself was uh, part of the juvenile system when I moved here mm -hmm. from Brooklyn. I had a trouble. I'm a big advocate on, on trying so hard to fit in, but doing an amazing job sticking out. I was one of those kids when I came from Brooklyn. And I try to understand and, and try to see the new dynamic that was brought to me by moving here and, and understand the layout and the approach. And it was a different approach and it's a different vibe here from right, New York. Right. So I was I got caught up with, you know, not I wouldn't say the wrong crowd. I, I got caught up in the wrong atmosphere. And the outlet, you know, like the Boys and Girls Club, the Police Athletic League was a great outlet for me. But when those outlets weren't around, I, I would get into some trouble, you know, mm -hmm, and, I, and mm -hmm. I, I got wrapped up within the, the court system. And, and it was it was it was scarce because um, there was not not one representative that looked like my right. parents or looked like me right. within the system. Only the translator. Right. And my parents, I remember when my parents would reach out to the translator pleading to them, what can they do to try to find some legal advice or, or to try to see how they can reach out to me? They couldn't advise because all they, this is all they would say is, I can't, I can't, I can't advise you on anything. I'm not a lawyer. Right. You know, you would need to speak to your lawyer and the devastation and the, the look. But like Biggie said, you know, being from Brooklyn, we made a, we made it from negative to positive. Good. And it's all good. And that's yeah, that's 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 the whole plan. I mean, we know yeah. people are gonna get in trouble, but if, if people make mistakes and absolutely just because they make a mistake doesn't make them bad people. Right. And uh I mean I was given a lot of breaks when I was growing up. Yeah. And you know, who knows what would have happened to me if I didn't get those breaks? Because there mm -hmm. was people that cared, you know, um, not only my family, but mm -hmm. but outside of my family. Uh, I had a couple run-ins and and you know, I got I got a break. And mm -hmm. that's that's what I want to do for these kids. Right. You know, who knows if if that break that we give these kids, um, you know, will will change their lives or change their view of, of maybe police officers. Maybe mm -hmm. you know, hey, that officer gave me a break. That's not, that's kind of cool. And you know, maybe maybe I want to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you never know. Right. So um, so we do teach this class to police officers. It's called Effective Police Interaction with Youth, and it basically talks about the adolescent brain, and uh, that it doesn't it doesn't finish forming until like your mid twenties. Some some say even late twenties. So at at when you think about that. Our officers, some of them are getting hired at 21, so hmm. their brain hasn't even developed yet. Uh -huh. And um, so we want to put these officers. Well, the class itself, first of all, puts you know talks about all that, mm -hmm. and it tells them, hey, give the kids a break if you can. Obviously, we're police officers. We took an oath to uh, you know protect the laws in, of this state and this country. Right. But there's a lot of discretion that we have, mm -hmm. and if we can use that, you know, let's let's do that. Um, obviously, sometimes we can't, and also. What I like to do here in Nashua is um, when, when a police officer comes out of boot camp, um, not boot camp, but um, the police academy, they have to ride along with a senior officer. Mm -hmm. And especially these younger officers that are 21, 22, 23 years old, I try to tell the, um, the, the, the senior officer, hey, stop by the Boys and Girls Club. Hey, stop by PAL. Because this young officer has probably never been in an atmosphere where he's going to be surrounded by kids mm -hmm. in a positive arena yeah and you know just having the uniform on kids come up to us and talk to us they want to know mm -hmm. hey what, what is that you know you know is that a gun you know mm -hmm. just ask questions right, right, in, right. In, in inquisitive questions so we try to put our, our young officers in a positive role with youth mm -hmm. 
before they go to that call where they have to take enforcement action on a youth. And I don't want that to be their first interaction with kids. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. But their first interaction, I want it to be a positive one. Right. So they can maybe start developing that. Like, hey, not all kids are bad. Instead of being kind of standoffish Correct. and being like, why is there a cop here? You so, know? yeah. So all our, all our field training officers are told, you know, hey, go out there. And, and when, in between calls, stop in the Boys and Girls Club. If you see kids in, you know, in, at the park shooting hoops, stop in. You know, right. talk to the kids. You know, let your young officer interact with the kids mm-hmm. in a positive way. And um, that seems to be, you know, hope, hopefully it's working. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've tested that, you know, have actual data on that. But yeah. I think it works. And uh, that's what we tell our officers to do here in Nashville. With, um, and that's an amazing job that you guys are doing. I mean, we've worked a lot together. I mean, I always, we disconnect but because of live, but then we reconnect, mm-hmm. you know, when this whole COVID yeah. uh, situation happened. I reached out. We organized to get you guys PPE. PPEs, yeah, thank you so much. No problem, no problem. And um, I always want to I always want to give back to my community. I always want to make sure because, you know, if even I can be the gentleman that's resentful for, you know, I see a lot of my friends that are dealing with, you know, some mental health and, mm-hmm. and, and some battling with addiction and, they reach they they try to reach out and sometimes they feel like there's a system that failed them some way somehow but i think that the disconnect is within the you know the outlets of them not knowing where the resources are i want to i want to make sure that everybody understands that there's always an outlet and there's always somebody that's willing to right. extend their hand right. and um to make to have it be a Hispanic within the Hispanic community is is key, and and we definitely need more of you, like, no, like to yeah, reach we, out. You we know, definitely. I mean, I, I, I think in my bio it says I, I currently work in the Services Bureau, and that kind of deals with building maintenance and right. and, and the the inner workings of the police department. But for I think it was three years, I did recruiting, mm-hmm. and uh, I was uh, very involved in our recruiting for police officers. And I mean, we we're working very hard to get minority officers because we realize, you know, we need more minority officers out there. And we've had some, in, in, you know, come in. I think mm-hmm. currently, um, I mean, we don't have as many as we'd like. Yeah. But same thing with women officers, female officers. We'd love to have more. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it is difficult to get the minority officers up here and, and, and working up here. Why is that? Um, I think, well, because Nashville has very uh, strict standards. Um, there is... You know, we, we our police test is, is, you know, it is what it is. This is to hire the best. This is what you have to do. Right. And, you know, we have the numbers come in to take the test. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the the failure rate for people to take the test, not not just minorities, but but any everybody, yeah. it's very high because, you know, the physical fitness is hard. Mm-hmm. The the RIN test is, is a little difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have somebody that probably – you know, didn't have the, the greatest school. Maybe they worked in an inner city. It's probably school is not the, the greatest. Um, maybe they, they kind of didn't pay attention in school or, or for yeah. whatever reason, you know. Yeah. It's just the numbers kind of drop off. And, and it, it goes for everybody, not just minorities. It goes for everybody. The numbers drop off after the test. And then you, if you do make it past the, the physical fitness and the, and the written part, now you're going to go through extensive, extensive interviews and a background. And a lot of times, you know, we can say, you know, yeah, he made a mistake, but, you know, maybe that mistake in his life when he was a kid probably wasn't, you know, the best thing. Because now you have a felony record. Obviously, you can't have a felony to be a police officer. You can't right. carry a gun and stuff like that. And, right. and you know, we all make mistakes, but, you know, it's not necessarily means that that's, you know, that person's a bad person. Mm-hmm. But to be hired as a police officer, we can't have that. Um, so, I mean, we lose a lot of people. And I mean, currently, I th- I want to say just off the top of my head, there's probably like four or five Spanish-speaking officers. Um, we had um, African-American officer, but he actually left to go for another job uh, about three years ago. So right now, we need more um, African-American officers, um, and just we just need more uh, female officers as well. Right. Um, so I mean, it, and it's not just a national thing. That mm-hmm. this is a national thing for law enforcement. Plus, who wants to right now in this time and age want to be a police officer? That's it's a tough, tough sell for people. How was it being a Hispanic cop with a bunch of you know Caucasian colleagues? And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you've you've done you've done a lot of hard work to get to your position. Right. But when you're in a situation where you see something, you know, and you, you're the only one, did you feel that disconnect? So when I first, 
you know, heard of Nashua, New Hampshire yeah. and uh, coming from Houston, Texas. Um, I thought, you know, New Hampshire, well, it's, it's definitely, a, you know, there's not going to be any minorities or diversity. I was shocked when I got here and started driving around and seeing everybody, you know, getting to know the community. Yeah. And, and I love that. And that's what I love about Nashua. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so when I first realized that, when I first applied, I said, oh, well, I'll probably be the only minority there. Well, that, I was wrong right off the bat. There was, okay. there, I think there was a couple other Hispanic officers at the time. Um, and then when I came on the street, I really felt comfortable. I'm like, hey, I'm, I, I can do a good job here. I like mm-hmm. it here. Uh, this is a great, little, uh, great city. I, mm. I call it little, little town. <laughs> coming from Houston, it's a yeah. small, small city. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like coming from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I really liked it here, and uh, the diversity was just amazing. But uh, at work, you know, when I first got here, I mean, I wasn't treated any differently than everybody else because mm-hmm. you know, our hiring process is the same for everybody, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't treated any any different. Obviously, I could speak Spanish, so I mm-hmm. got I got the opportunity to work with maybe detectives a little sooner, yeah. just because I could translate if they have a Spanish speaking case. Okay. Um, but I never felt like I was, you know, looked looked down upon or anything like that. I mean, yeah. it, it's been a great department for me. Um, I mean, I think it it still is a great department, and and I think the city of Nashville is very fortunate to have it. Yeah. Now on the street, you do see, you know, a couple of, you know, racist comments. I mean, I've been called a racist, but yeah. you know, but. I'm dealing police officers deal You've with people. You've been called a sorry to interrupt. You've yeah. been called a racist from Hispanics or from Caucasian? From, from both, but from both? but you know, I, you can't take that stuff personal when you're a police officer yeah. because you're dealing with people that are going through crisis. Mm-hmm. Whether they're they're intoxicated, drugs, yeah. mental health. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of people, you know, say bad things to me in mm-hmm. in my line of work. Um, but you know, the next day or when I see them at court, they apologize. Right. So you can't take that stuff personal. Right. Um, you know, yeah. Hispanic people have called me, you know, a racist, uh, yeah. white people call me racist, yeah, yeah. but you know, deep down inside, you know, people are going through a crisis. You can't right. really take that stuff personal and, and serious, but you do see some, you know, back when I first got here 18 yeah. years ago, you would see some, you know, people in out, out in the community, yeah. make some comments. Yeah. Um, but you know you would try to correct them a little bit mm-hmm. but um but other than that the agency itself it has been very good to me it's been very i think it's a great agency mm-hmm. and and i think the city of nashville is very lucky to have the nashville police department what we've done cuz we we have done a lot of work in the minority communities mm-hmm. and i think you know after george floyd um incident happened right. and black lives matter movement really kicked up yeah um we had, I mean, you had Jordan Thompson here, right? Yeah. Yeah, great kid, by the way. He's, shout out to Jordan. Yeah, shout out to Jordan. And um, he has a bright future for him, I see that. But, uh, Amazing but, guy. Um, but even after all that happened, we've been working with, you know, Jordan has been part of our national conversation on race and justice. Okay. That was started by the police department with the, uh, mostly the African-American community, but also mm-hmm. the Latino community. Um, and uh, just, we've been working on that for three years. We've had conversations in the community, like, Hey, get to know us, get to know your police department and, you know, learn about our police culture. Right. Right. And, and teach us about your culture. Um, so, uh, we have that. We, we, uh, that's huge. That is, that is huge. And I think that's, people ask me all the time. Cause our, our black lives matter, um, event that we had at Greeley Park. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think it had over a thousand people there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I saw you there with Jordan. And uh, and it, it, went, it was peaceful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I attribute that to all the work that the previous chief, this chief, and the whole administration has done because we we are trying to work hard to make every culture part of our community. Right. And I also occasionally I'll, I'll go to the adult learning center mm-hmm. and I'll teach classes to the brand new uh, Americans, the refugees that come in because they have to take uh, classes on English and stuff like that. Right. And the first thing I tell them is, you know, I shake all their hands. And, mm-hmm. and that's a huge um, gesture for them because they've never most of the time these refugees coming mm-hmm. from these countries from the Burundis, Congolese, yep. the police are the ones doing all the abuse to them. Yeah. So when I go there and I shake their hands, they're just mm-hmm. at awe. And then I tell them, you guys are part of my community. Right. I'm a police officer protecting you because the last thing we want is somebody to be victimized and not reported, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Nobody deserves to be a victim. Yeah. And we want to get that point across to them. That's truly amazing, especially when I can't imagine, you know, you're going from country to country and you're, you're, you're trying to find the safe haven. And, you know, Having a police officer greet you, especially in a small town, you 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 think about America, you think about these bigger cities, right. but this this truly this small town that's thriving and yeah. and 
you you find these resources and then you see a police officer greet you and say yeah. you're part of my community i'm here yeah. to protect you that's that's truly honorable oh it's, it's crazy i mean the impact that that has on these people yeah. and i i hear from the translators they're like they're just at all they can't believe that you're actually shaking their hand and i'm like no they're they're part of our community now do you believe in and in, in building a relationship with the with young people especially the the black lives matter movement uh in the response of the police department or on the on the young people themselves meaning there's an image within what you see on social media mm -hmm. and police officers and you know you hear your 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 slangs and have you felt that disconnect with the youth lately or uh especially around here or do you feel that there's something that you guys are striving more and more to to kind of move forward with and con and connect even twice as harder Yeah, no, I, I think we've done a great job working with with Jordan Thompson, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm -hmm. um, the NAACP, Gloria Timmons, um, our our um, new city um, government personnel. Mm -hmm. um, we've had these conversations for a long time. And um, part of the national community conversation on race and justice is we had, I think it's two events at each high school where we sat the youth, the high school kids, with one or two police officers on a round table. And it was just a, hey, just feel free, ask whatever questions you want to know about. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was very eye-opening for one, for the officers. And we try to get the younger officers to be in these groups. Mm -hmm. And then for the kids too, because they were asking questions like, hey, you know, I saw on social media, you know, police beating up on minority, you know, kids or, or all this stuff. And so you you're having these serious conversations because this is what people see on the media, right? And they want to know, obviously, especially young people. I mean, yeah. they're very inquisitive. So, um, I mean, these were great events. And I think after these events were done, I mean, we got a lot of praise from the kids that were in the class and and, uh, and the officers as well. So I think our work with, with the youth in this community, no matter where, what background they're from, has been, uh, has been very good. And, I mean, obviously, you want to keep that going. Uh, there's a lot, work, a lot more work to do, you know, um, You, you never want to stop working on that on that side on that front mm -hmm. but um but I think we've done a, a pretty good job uh, the previous chief this chief and and the whole administration to kind of work with every every culture every community out here because you know we're all part of Nashua and and that's what makes Nashua you know a great place to live and work we talked about you know you feeling the brunt of of racism you know when you first started do you think that a police officer what does a police officer represent in the community right now but do you also believe that a police officer can be racist do you do you feel that do you feel that even though you felt it on the other side mm -hmm. internally you felt it within the department yeah i mean everybody has implicit bias right yeah we, we all have that we're all human beings and uh one of the things that we have done at, at our agency is, mm -hmm. is we've all been through implicit bias training okay. and um I, i i tell people you know No matter where, where you come from, I mean, it's it's all how you grew up, right? What, what you were around when you were growing up. I mm -hmm. mean, if if I was a young kid and my parents told me that they hate broccoli and mm -hmm. they're never going to eat broccoli and it's the worst thing ever, I'm going to grow up thinking broccoli is the worst thing, right? Until mm -hmm. I make my own decisions and try it and I say, hey, broccoli's not that bad. So that's a, a bias I have on broccoli that right. for no reason. Same thing with um with, with the communities and the minorities, right? Um, and, and the officer, everybody has biases. So we have to work very hard. In, um, in one, you know, backgrounding these officers, make sure that they don't have any of these extreme biases or, you know, really search their background. Yeah. Because if there's any inkling of, of, uh, of an extreme bias or, or something serious, mm -hmm. I mean, we can't have that as a police officer. And then if they do make, make it to become a police officer, we need to continue that cultural diversity and implicit bias training. And uh, I mean, we do it uh, every year here at the police department at Nashua. Um, and plus, we, because Nash was so diverse, yeah. we have very, uh, a lot of opportunities to get our officers out there uh, to kind of interact with different types of, of, uh, of, you know, communities and cultures. So if, uh, one of my officers, if I'm getting complaints that one of my officers is, is um, you know, racist or something, everything mm -hmm. gets investigated. So anybody that calls in and, and makes a complaint on an officer, and those are serious allegations you're making on, on one of our officers. So right. if, if we miss something, we want to find out. So we... we Everything gets investigated by our internal affairs division or the captain mm -hmm. that they they fall under, and if if we come to terms that something is racially you know is something wrong with this officer or he's a, you know a racist or something like that mm -hmm. to the extreme, and 
we're going to do everything we can to either get him some training or mm -hmm. maybe not make, not have him be a police officer anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all up to the chief. But, I mean, we do a lot of training on that. But I think it comes down to recruiting and the hiring process yeah. a lot. How does that look like, the, the recruiting and the hiring process? Oh, it's very long. <laughs> it's very long. How many hours does it take to become a police officer? How many hours? Yeah. Oh, geez. I'm still learning, and I've been here 18 years. So, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but, but here in New Hampshire, just to give you a quick rundown, yeah. when somebody gets hired, I mean, it takes up to a possibly you know, 10 to 12 months to, to get hired, right, yeah. background. If you get hired, you're going to do probably like two or three weeks of in-house training. So mm -hmm. you're not even going on the street, just basic training here yeah. at the police department. Then you go to um, Concord, which is the police academy. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, 14 weeks now. Um, and that's you live there with police officers from all over the state. When you come back out of there, um, now you're going to ride with a senior officer, kind of like I mentioned earlier, yeah. for about 10 weeks until you're on your own. So, I mean, you, you have almost a year of training before you even um, get on your own. And then, and then even that first, the whole first year, that new officer is, you know, getting evaluated. He's on probation. You know, we're making sure he's doing everything right for that first whole year, because um, if it's not working out, we've had officers, you know, come out on the street and say, you know, this isn't for me. Right. You know, you can't hold it against them. It's it's tough to be a police officer. Absolutely. And it's not for everybody. So when they say that, I mean, obviously, we, we've uh, spent a lot of money and a lot of training hours on this person, but we'd rather them say that or us find that out mm -hmm. before it becomes a major issue. Um, and um, so, yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of hours. But I mean, we're always learning. Right. We have to go to in-service training. We have to do annual training every year um, on use of force, on, on um, you know, anything else. So any training we can send our officers to. And, and, and that's one thing about Nashville. We do have, you know, a very good training program. And the chief is very big on, on training. Right. So if we can send somebody to some specialized training, we will. Is there any, uh, throughout their careers, do they have like a period where they kind of reset and have like a psych evaluation? And then um, go back out on the street, you know, because like you said, it 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 takes a toll to be right. an officer to disconnect. You know, I can't imagine you've been called a racist. You you know you having you having a bad interaction with with citizens out there, and then all of a sudden you have to disconnect and then right. go home, you know, and and then be the dad, you know, be the husband, or be the boyfriend or the girlfriend, and and right. and kind of disconnect those feelings and and detach those those emotions from your job, you know, it, it, it could be, it could be a police officer. It could be a sales rep. It could be anything, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. to kind of disconnect those feelings. I mean, I, I, I commend you guys because this is, it's tough work being a police officer, especially now within, you know, you're getting the backlash of because of one cop's action, right. The ridicule to all the police departments all over the nation. And What's the effects that you felt within the department, you know, after the George Floyd? Did you feel like as, as a sense of community, did you feel any backlash or I, I know you guys are doing everything in the back end to kind of, you know, connect. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can only do so much before the public feels this. I mean, I saw you guys at Grayley Park and how you guys came and approached and were involved right there with Jordan and the Black Lives Matter and the chief. And that was, that was really admirable. You know, mm -hmm. we had an incident where there was a gentleman that said something, but everybody stayed calm and collective and, and that gentleman got removed. Did you feel, do you feel that sense of linger still? So to answer the first part of your question yeah. uh, about our well-being, yeah. I mean, that's when I first got hired here, I mean, I've been a police officer for 20 years combined, both in, in Texas and here. And when I, came on the job i mean you didn't talk about your feelings if, if a call messed not messed you up but if you didn't feel good about a call afterwards yeah. like um you know you just didn't talk about it and you didn't tell your supervisors because that shows signs of weakness right oh. so that that's the old mentality yeah luckily these probably i would say the last 10 years or so a law enforcement has taken a, a turn into kind of officer well-being mm -hmm. and this is one thing that my current chief now chief Corignan, has really made uh one of his agendas yeah as chief is officer well-being and we pride ourselves in in kind of making sure we take care of our officers so mm -hmm. there's a uh, a critical incident management team so so if i go to a call that maybe affects me mm -hmm. you know maybe it's a, a child involved something mm -hmm. with something um or a, a death that kind of hit, hits me wrong i can go yeah. to my supervisor or any other officer or i can just call this phone number and talk to a peer-to-peer -peer mm -hmm. group that have been specially trained to kind of listen and because we we realize that 
in order to get through things, you have to talk about them. Right. And so I can call this number and say, hey, I want to talk to a, a peer-to-peer person about an incident. You know, mm-hmm. it's just I'm, I'm, not, I'm having a hard time sleeping. I'm, you know, I'm having nightmares or anything or I just don't yeah. feel good. Um, and it, it's strictly confidential. And we're, we're doing that more often. Mm-hmm. And if we know that we're at a big scene where maybe it's a homicide scene, yeah. we're going to debrief everybody and say, hey, guys and gals, you know, yeah. You're probably going to not be sleeping the next couple of days. You're probably going to be doing this. If you need time off, let us know. Uh, so we're doing uh, a better job at taking care of our officers. And we tell our officers, get involved outside of police work. Mm-hmm. Volunteer at, at, at your, you know, whatever you like to do. Get a hobby. Don't be police all the time, you know, because you have to. Disconnect. Disconnect, you know. And and that's why, you know, I, I've been very, very lucky. I've, I've you know, been involved with my, my kids and, yeah. and doing stuff like that really kind of gets you away from, you know, the police mentality because you can't be police, police, police all the time. And um, and it, it'll make you a better officer when you do come back. Right. Um, so like I think, we, I, yeah, to reset, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've done, done a better job in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of the question was about the, the how the, the Black Lives Matter, you know, oh, how did it affect us? Yeah, yeah. So when we saw when when the George Floyd murder came out, I mean, mm. we saw that on TV. Right. I mean, I don't think there was a police officer that kind of said, oh, hold on, let's see what happened. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was clear as day. Yeah. So uh, we were all, you know, I think we were more upset mm-hmm. that one officer did this because now look look what happened, right? right. And, and and that's, we we're always told that from day one, since you become a police officer, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you uh, keep your integrity, you know, intact because that's all we have. And mm-hmm. if you lose that, it you know that's very detrimental not just you as a police officer but to every police officer in this country and cuz we all all live i think they used to say we all live in a glass house right everybody right. sees what we do and the actions of one officer is going to affect all of us right and that's what kind of i think got all the officers especially here my my officers upset yeah. more than anything else mm-hmm. um a lot of other instances um is there there's an investigation to everything and and things happen and i know um, social media and the news, they'll play like small clips and, and you don't get the whole picture. So because we're invest, most of us are investigators and we have to be, we have that investigative mindset. Mm-hmm. We know that there's a whole, um, situation. We have to look at the whole picture. Right. And, um, a lot of cases, you know, you want to say, well, let's step back and let's look at the whole picture. And it, but if the officer did something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, he will get, you know, in trouble for it. He'll right. get fired, yeah. reprimand, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the George Floyd one was just, you know, obscene, you know, you know, so that was kind of it, it It shook law enforcement in a different way, I, I think. Yeah. Um, because we all know, like, oh, get ready, because now everybody's going to look at us right. as bad. And it happens. But there's bad people in every profession, too. That's refreshing to hear you say that, because here's the stigma. Um, all uh, Blue Lives Matter, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, even though you saw a cop do something that's horrendous, you would think. Well, he's my brother in blue. Yeah, I have to have his back, whether it's good or bad. But the fact that you said no, it sh- it shocked the whole department. And right. we he you bluntly say he murdered that man, which he did. Mm-hmm. That's refreshing because the it's, it's this this whole stigma on the media and everybody just portraying like cops will protect cops no matter what, no. either if he's wrong or, or even 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 though if he's wrong or right, he's gonna protect his brother in blue. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because he doesn't want to feel that. That ridicule. I actually have a friend that lives in Manchester. He 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 was actually the one that did the first pilot for this for the show, and he's a he's a cop. He was an ex cop. And he and I asked him. I said, I said, yo, if if you if you see this man, what would you do? I mean, would you step back? Like look, look there was four other colleagues, you right. know, four other officers that were just watching this man, and then joined and and like. Do you grab him? Like, yeah, I would tell him to grab him. I was yeah. like, but does everybody else feel that way? So now I'm hearing it from multiple officers and lieutenants, and I'm, uh, that's a breath of fresh air because it it just it just shows that not everything's what it seems on the right. media, and, and it's not true. Like, if if something's wrong, speak up. Right. And I mean, we have in our in our standing operative procedures or SOPs. Those are like basically our our rules that we follow. Right. And it says right in there. That if you see another officer do something wrong or illegal or criminal, mm-hmm. you have to, you shall take action. Yeah. So if if me and you are two police officers and I see you, you know, break the law yeah. uh, on somebody else, like do something like that, 
if I don't jump in and say, hey, Oscar, get back, or, mm-hmm. you know, what are you doing? You know, pull you off? Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble, and I could lose my job. Yeah. And, um, you know, nowadays, I mean, we tell our officers, everything's recorded, right? Everybody has cameras, and, and every incident, you know, you have, it's going to be on, on YouTube or, or whatever. Right. So I think the officers realize, like, hey, let's let's do our job. And, and luckily, I mean, I'm, I'm proud. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a national police officer, but I think our agency does a really good job um, at instructing our officers. I mean, we we before the whole talk of a, about chokeholds, banning chokeholds. Mm-hmm. I mean, our chokeholds have been banned for like the last 20, 30 years here in you know, New Hampshire. Yeah, here in Nashua. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, polygraph. Te- I mean, um, psychological testing. A yeah. lot of agencies never did that um, for hiring, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, we've been doing them for you know as long as I can remember. Um, and then taking action when you see another fellow officer do mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, a lot of agencies didn't have that as their rules. And, and, you know, we've had that for like the last 20 years, 30 years. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. Let, let's, let's, let's go back to the scenario where we're both officers. You're a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. I'm a rookie. I see my lieutenant do something wrong out. You know, he's manhandling some mm-hmm. uh, a civilian in a manner that he shouldn't. I'm the rookie. I can't go. I don't feel comfortable enough. I just, you know, I just went right. through, you know, a year of training. I yeah. finally got the badge. I'm out there. Right. I'm doing the ride along. And then all of a sudden I see my lieutenant who's had, who has seniority over right. me do something wrong. I can't go up to my chief or somebody because I'm going to target myself. I've heard this too, mm-hmm. that I, that if I go up to my lieutenant or if I go up to my chief and I talk about my lieutenant or a colleague that has seniority over me, I'm putting a target off mm-hmm. my back, I'm on right. my back because I'm going to get the backlash from all the brothers inside of the department. Right. I'm saying, what are you doing? Who do you think you are, man? This he's giving, he's teaching you the ropes and you have, right. and you think you saw something wrong. You have the audacity to, 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 to put internal affairs or, to, or go to the chief, the chief on him, mm-hmm. you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, you, I've heard stories where they said, where a gentleman has said, well, I'm, I'm afraid because my wife is going to get pulled over or my kids, you know, they're harassing my wife and kids. And that, what, what does a rookie or any officer at that point yeah. that has, that sees something wrong, but is afraid to speak out, wh- what do you advise that officer? So, I mean, if, if I'm the lieutenant, you're the officer and we're working together and yeah. I do something wrong. Yeah. You know that's gonna come out on video. That's gonna come out. Mm-hmm. You know whether Forget, that guy. Let's say there's no that, camera footage. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Let's let's go back to the before the 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 social media era. Right. So this the person that got arrested. Yeah. Obviously, there's gonna be an arrest out of it. It's yeah. gonna complain. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're gonna look into it, and if they find out that there's any wrongdoing on the lieutenant's handling of the situation, yeah. they're gonna say, "Well, Oscar was there. Yeah. You know how come he didn't do anything? So now you're in violation of our." rules and standards, you know, or okay. SOPs. Yeah. So you're going to get in trouble for not doing, if, if they find out that the lieutenant did something. Yeah. Um, so you're going to get in trouble. So that kind of puts it What's on everybody's that? mind, like mm-hmm. every officer, like, you know, I got to make sure I'm doing it right. Because even if you just say, sir, can, should you be doing that? Yeah. Um, you know, that's enough for you to kind of bring that up because now that maybe I'll, I'll say, oh my gosh, I just, you know, lost control or whatever. Um, but you're doing your part that not doing that. But we also have the, the unions, you know, usually guys will go to their union and say, Hey, you know, the Lieutenant, you know, he has his heavy hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's how stuff gets reported, yeah. um, to, to the chain of command. What's and- a reprimand on somebody that reports on a, on another officer? What, or actually, no, what's the reprimand on a officer that saw another officer do something bad, but didn't say anything or speak up about it? What's the reprimand? On that officer. Well, it depends what the incident is too. Okay. I mean, it could be it could be a letter of yeah. uh, of warning in your file. It could be you know time off without pay. Yeah. I mean, if it's something serious where mm-hmm. it's you know that that the person doing this stuff mm-hmm. got into real serious trouble. I mean, this person could lose their job. If they lost their job, you're probably going to lose your job too. Wow. Because you're involved in that. Um. That you're you're responsible once you once you go to a call and it's mm-hmm. your name on there, you're responsible for the safety and well-being of that person that, that you're dealing with. I mean, they could be the worst person uh, out on the street, but you still have to treat that person with dignity and respect. You know, like I said, people, you know, spit at us, you mm-hmm. know, yell at us, call us names. And, you know, obviously we have to defend ourselves. I'm not going to let somebody assault me. Yeah. But at the same time, once the threat is is minimized, once it's, if you stop hitting me mm-hmm. and I stopped you, I can't hit you back. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's an assault right there. Right. So... You know, those are the instances where where we as police officers have to be, you know, check ourselves and say, okay, 
you're doing this because, you know, you're having a bad day. Maybe, maybe, you know, your wife just left you. You just lost your job. Yeah. And that's why you, you, you know, you got into a domestic. I don't mm -hmm. know. But I understand you're going through some issues. You know, let's work this out. I mean, yes, I have to arrest you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're not a bad guy. And, and we work a lot on, on de-escalation techniques, too. And, um, you know, talking, you know, with people. Right. Um, and, you know, that's something that I've kind of also enjoy doing is mm -hmm. just, you know, talking to people in crisis. And, right. and getting their perspective. Get it, yeah. You know, because people, people, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some criminals out there. <laughs> and there's some bad people that are, you know, career criminals. But yeah. uh, a lot of people are just having bad days, you know. Um, you know, they're, they're having a hard time mm -hmm. paying bills, you know, kids, you know, whatever it is. And you pandemic know, pandemic. I yeah. know. I mean, we've, we've had some some issues with the pandemic, but but we have to put ourselves in in a in a respectful and professional. We have to stay professional the whole time. And and I think we do a good job here in Nashua. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's just from our uniform on down, you know, you'll always see a national police officer polished up, ironed mm -hmm. up. Um, and, you know, it, we're always in suits or, yeah. or ties. And, You're looking sharp today, no, by the way. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but um, but that that's just the that's just the way national police is, yeah. you know. And I I think it, it speaks volumes of. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I look like this and I'm dealing with people, yeah, it's it. You're probably gonna deal with me a little bit, even though you're probably upset. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna talk to you calmly and professional. Mm -hmm. You're gonna calm down, and, and we're gonna get the the situation solved. When right. you know, if I have to arrest you, I, I have to arrest you. But I'm gonna do it professional and with dignity. You guys are listening to First Gen American. Our special guest today, Lieutenant Carlos Camacho from the National Police Department. What do you think about people demanding to defund the police? So I, I think it's a bad idea because I know everybody's saying, well, let's get social workers in there. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you defund, like if, if, if the city starts taking money away from our budget, the first thing that's going to get cut is probably our training. And like I talked mm -hmm. earlier, our training is very important to us. Absolutely. And it, it's like people in, in the civilian world. Education is everything, right? right. You, you tell your kids, you tell people, hey, get, go, get, go get a degree, you mm -hmm. know, get educated. Same thing with police officers. Now that you're a police officer training, you know, we have to keep training you, um, you know, ongoing classes every year. But if we don't have that money to train, you know, you're not going to get those, uh, you know, extra classes. So, um so I, I think that's where you would start seeing the first cuts. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, I don't, I'm not in an administration, but that's where I would think the first cuts would go. Um, the second thing is, you know, you, you talk about people with uh, bringing social services. And, and you know, we, we've had a uh, mobile crisis here in town. One, try getting somebody out on a Christmas morning. You know, uh, somebody's going through crisis. Yeah. And usually the holidays are a busy time of year for us. And, mm -hmm. um uh, we're out there 24-7, police officers are. And no, we're, we're not psychologists, we're not counselors, but we know a little bit to talk to somebody and kind of send them in the right direction. Um, and I mean, I, I just I, I just think that defunding is, is not the way to go. Um, but let's sit down and talk, like how can we improve um, the whole situation? But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think defunding is, is the way to go. Those are good, valid points. How do you feel about the governor's response to the Black Lives Matter movement? I think he did a great job. Um, as you know, right after the Black Lives Matter movement, he he said, okay, let's get a committee going on um, law enforcement accountability. Let's see what New Hampshire law enforcement, let's see what they can do better. Let's see what they're doing wrong. And he brought people from all um, walks of life, NAACP, ACLU, Defender's Office, police, uh, the academy staff. And actually, I got to testify in that committee. And I told them of all the work that we do here in Nashville with the Mirror Project, working with the Boys and Girls Club, PAL, uh, Effective Police Interaction with Youth. And what they're doing is after that whole committee got done a meeting, they sent their recommendations up to the governor. And as far as I know, he's going to make them into either executive orders, into law, mm -hmm. uh, and also, um, you know, maybe have the next, you know, legislative session, put them into actual laws. But, um, but I, I talked about that class I effective police interaction with youth, which talks about, you know, adolescent brain development and how to interact with kids and, and all that. And they want to make that a mandatory class to all school resource officers. So that I, I think he's doing a good job with that. Um, I don't think New Hampshire has really seen or, or been part of one of those massive, you know, crazy protests. I think everybody has been 
pretty civil. Yeah. Um, and I know we have in Nashua. This is the only one I've, I've been in, involved in. But um, but I think New Hampshire is doing a good job. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, obviously. Um, the state advisory group that I'm on, we're working on getting implicit bias training to all anybody that touches a youth. So it could be law enforcement, teachers, doctors, uh, anybody that interacts with youth. We're trying to get um, some funding for implicit bias training brought in, you know, uh, by UNH and another outside agency that does that training because we think that's important. Um, and, you know, getting to know your implicit bias and kind of working with that, I think that's going to be key, not just law enforcement, for anybody that touches a kid's life. Do you feel that the national community has been supportive of their officers? I think so. I think, um, you know, we, we have done a lot of good work with, with all sorts of of uh, different communities. Um, all our police officers, I mean, most of our supervisors are on boards um, with, it, among the community, great, uh, Greater Nashville Mental Health, uh, Bridges, Boys and Girls Club, POW. Um, so I think we do a lot. Um, Nashville Police is a very heavy community policing agency. And I think a lot of people do see that. Um, so I think the work that has been put on by both the agency and the community itself, I, I think Nashville is very... Um, they like what we're doing. Obviously, we're always looking to get better. You can always get better. And uh, we're, we're willing to uh, talk to anybody, go anywhere, and just kind of get better at what we're doing in, in, in the side of community policing. What is the process when somebody who is considered to be an illegal immigrant is booked and processed? So that's a good question because National Police, we do have a, a standard operating procedure, a rule mm -hmm. that says we don't, care we don't we don't ask for where you're from yeah. um the only time that we would ask is if if i run your name let, let's say you're here illegally and mm -hmm. i run your name nothing's going to come up right it's yeah. going to be blank i'm going to leave it at that you know okay what do you, when you get booked that's what you're going to go whatever you give me is what you're going to go by yeah. but if you have like a, a immigration warrant yeah where like maybe uh immigration is looking for you for something that's yeah. the only time we will call immigration gotcha. but we don't we have a standard operating procedure. We don't ask where a person's from. We don't ask their their legal status. That's that's a federal, you know, law. That's not a a, a state law, a, a police law. So we don't care where you, where you're from. Now, if during booking you tell us, hey, I'm from Mexico, mm. what we're gonna do is gonna, hey, since you're from Mexico, do you want to call your consulate and let them know you've been arrested? We offer everybody from another country the opportunity to call their consulate, but we're not gonna ask them. Right. You know, if they want to, yeah, absolutely, give them a call. Because that's the same right you would want. If you're an American citizen and you're down in Mexico and you get yeah. arrested, hey, can I call my consulate? Because right. I don't want to go into Mexican jail. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, we, we offer everybody that, that right, but we do not ask for their, their legal status at all. What's next for Lieutenant Camacho? Yeah, keep uh, doing what I like to do. I mean, I love being on the community. So if you see me out there, feel free to stop by and chat me up. So... Thank you very much. Truly an honor for you to be here with us today on First Gen American. Another amazing show with another amazing person here, right here from our community. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. <laughs> Have a great one.